0: Welcome to the Candid Conversation Show. I'm your host, Marilyn Fontaine, artist and creative coach for women who want success and income with ease. Hello and welcome to the Candid Conversations. This is Marilyn. Um, It is episode 14 from season three. I actually think I'm going to allow season three to be a long, season because they're coming really quickly right so quick so I might just let it run on and on and on and on till infinity um so today um I'm gonna cover my creative practice um talk about um my you know my day as an artist and what I what I do in my art practice you know I've spoke about coaching um, working with my clients and, and the you know the amazing things we do. However, as an artist, I want to talk about my actual process, my working process um, in this art business that I have. The reason why I haven't done this before is because I didn't know what my process was. Now, this is like three or four years after, well, since 2000 and, what seven. No, maybe being a full-time artist, yeah, 2015, 16, 2015, God. Mm. Around 2015, I would say. Um, Before that, I was an artist, but I wasn't full-time. And the reason I believe it has been so long is because I had a massive dose of imposter syndrome um, from being an artist. I didn't have it being a coach because it's helping, right? But as an artist, massive dose of it. Um, And so now I can really, I'm really grounded and I really am confident in my own process because I've had examples of it working. And that's the big, that's a a big, that's a big one is when we build evidence of something working, we can say, okay, we can measure, you know, the distance traveled. So before I start with that, I just want to um, do a client celebration. Um, One of my clients who finished with me in September, I can't say her name because she's in the public eye, but she won an award um same awards that Beyonce won her awards, the Grammys. So I want to celebrate this client um for her ability to just be herself and to just live for the creative, the creativity. You know, her creativity to her is so important and her why is a heart-based why. So her why is um wanting to make a difference in this world. It was never to win a Grammy. Those things are nice, affirmation of what she does, but her why is that to, to just speak about her journey and to help to inspire others and to live in accordance with God because she's a very, very um, faithful person of the creator. And so for her, her artistic practice has always been just her doing her. She's a classic example of when you all you know is to be yourself and to do yourself and, and it's paid off. But her, her work has actually been, you know, what I'm commending her for is that she's been true to herself, but she's also, um, travelled as an individual emotionally and spiritually um, so far and her bravery to look at the places which wasn't working and either adjust them or get rid of them is is, astound- is astounding. So for me, no matter what level of your artistic and creative practice you're at when you come to work with me, it's your willingness to Stay true to yourself is what I love about this work. So I just want to praise um, her for that. Um, Clyde, praise And just to let you know that I have a couple of spots available for one-to-one coaching. So if that resonates or if my work, any of my podcasts resonates with you and you want to do some work with me, you want to... Be really clear about your practice, your work, your business, um, and feel confident. And it could be in one contract. It could be securing one client. It could be making 10 sales. If you are a trailblazer already and you have a level of skill that you want to share with the world, then drop me a line. It's in the show notes. Uh, follow me on Instagram, MJ Fontaine, and you can drop me a DM if you want, or book a consult through the, through Instagram or the link I'm going to provide. Okay, so, put my glasses on. So, creativity is a pathway, the sacred practice of creating. This is what this episode is called. Um, and this is about how I create space in my work. And... Um, how I create my projects, how I obtain funding, um, my process, and also decolonizing, colonizing my art, because um, that's really important. Um, but I'll talk about the sacred practice. So, I'm in my studio. I always record from my studio now, and today. I just felt like I needed to just come into the studio, put my bag down, and everything, and just start creating. What I used to do in my old, my other studio is that I would come in the studio and be in a state of, I feel like an imposter. What am I doing in this this studio? Who am I? And um, so to ground myself, I lit a candle, lit some incense. And i would just sit and get into the mood and I'll always I would always play like music. I find in this studio, because I've got the coaching business, I would tend to come in, come in the room, put the computer on, and do answer emails and all those things that which are coaching. Well, I've I stopped doing that now because I come into the studio and I start re reclimatizing myself in my studio, I'm here I'm in the studio, rather than I'm here answering emails so I'm dividing the two and so what I will love to do is create that, that space of intention but I've got lots of sacred things in my studio that allows me to feel connected the minute I walk in the door, there's a few things I want to get, but um, I, I have realised that the way this studio is and the pictures, my pictures here, they create that energy and I've changed. So I, you know, I really say affirmations about, I own, this is my space. However, my practice is always to drink tea. That's how I start. And I kind of, before, like I walk to my studio from my house, it's like 10 minutes. So I kind of set an intention before I come in the studio of what I want to work on and what I want to create. So, to normally Wednesdays, I would do my podcast first um, and upload it but today I thought I needed to paint get something out um because yesterday was I did my um my trauma training course and it was quite heavy so I think I needed to transform all that energy out and re um continue on the painting so normally, my practice would be to come in and just look around the room, look at the space, how I want to shift it. I may look at some paintings and just, just observe my environment. And that is so much different to 10 years ago where I would come in, be like in shock and then light a candle and had a little altar there. So it's interesting how one is vis i visibly um, I'm visually taken in my environment. And the reason why I think there's a difference in the two is because I feel that I've done so much work since between those times. And when I got my studio in 2016, I wasn't in a good space emotionally, I'd add my relationship was falling apart. And so I think I felt really unsteady as in in the world, whereas now I feel I'm in the world, you know, and also this place, this this studio here is so beautiful. It's in a park and as you can hear the, the main road as well, but it just is so familiar. So I feel there's comfort in that and being in, in nature. And um, so it's really important. Another thing I do is draw a card. So I've got angel cards, oracle cards, tarot cards, and I'll just take a card for the day in the studio just to create the energy. Um, My intention isn't clear so I don't take the card and think, okay, I want to take a card for my practice. No, I've been having so much emotional turmoil (laughs) the last six months um, doing these trauma calls. It's been really good, but I've been really shifting stuff. So it's been, what do I need to know to feel grounded? So I feel that I can welcome a practice of actually, what does my artwork need? to inform me of today and so i take a card i drink my tea sit down and i tend to listen to podcasts and for the past okay so this studio um I've only had the studio for six months, but I had a studio in my house in the basement. So I would bring the work upstairs because there was no window during the day and then go downstairs in the evening. But I found if I was working on something, I would listen to a podcast and Again, it's past six months or, so, you know, I've been coaching um, religiously and so I'd be listening to coaching podcasts. Since I've got this studio, something has changed for me and I listen to coaching podcasts, but I'm listening to more spiritual podcasts or looking at YouTube spiritual videos. So I shifted because there's such a clear line between my practice, even though they feed each other, but my art practice is my art practice and I want to get back in touch with me and my spirit. Whereas with coaching, it's about the other. I'm I'm a channel, you know, I'm using tools, but I'm also tapping into ancestral stuff, you know, the client, the energy of the coaching relationship, you know grounding myself Where's this one, I can, you know, I can just let go. And so it's, I think it's really important of the you know listening to some spiritual podcasts even some coaching podcasts but i i feel i'm drawn to um the podcasts where it's not just about strategy and clients and getting money and all these things it's more about connecting with the divine connecting with your spirit um spiritual connections relationships psychology so i tend to go into that so you know and when i'm doing other paintings I would go into this listening to music so um, but I find winter time I tend to be more in myself within with all my practices and as the sun is coming out I will be listening to more music more um, different types of music in the studio um, but at the moment it's like I'm just in the spiritual kind of inward space okay so so my projects, um, so I come into the studio, so I have projects um, going, I tend to work better when I've got a deadline and I've got a project going on, because if I don't, which, which could be an exhibition, a commission, and um, I tend to do public commissions as opposed to private commissions, and I did question, why am I not doing public commissions? It's because I don't like being told what to do, and um And then I said, and then I gave myself the thought, well, what if you you have commissions where people commission you to do a piece and you create the piece, but not, you know, not like a portrait commission, but, you know, a piece that they just want some of your work. So allow yourself to be open to commissions, Marilyn. So I'm open to commissions now, but um, most of the time it's a public commission um, or an exhibition that I'm doing. And so I'll work on, um, maybe paintings um, to do with with that. What I tend to do is I tend to have like side little warm up projects um, that I have no goal in in no outcome apart from just seeing what comes out um what's coming out like practice if I'm not doing a course and then I've got a working exhibition and so I create from my own head I just start creating but I tend to have a colour theme So if I'm drawn to a colour, I start working with that colour. And then I tend, now I tend to do, because when I first restarted painting, I would just paint all these different colours and all these different things. But now looking around the studio, I tend to have um, different, like pairs, pairs or either sets of four or five or six. So I tend to have a collection now because when you're showing work, it's easier on the eye, and also I like to have a theme. I just think it really helps my scattered brain. Um, so I work on a theme and I've got about four, pain, four, four or five paint, well, four paintings unfinished. And the reason being is, is that I but well, what I need to get some gold leaf. But also, um, sometimes the paintings can be quite deep and quite emotional for me. I like to leave there, um, and so, I will have four at a time, but they're mostly finished; they just need what you know in decorating terms snagging so little bits that needs um touching up and finishing off, but what I tend to do with my work is that if there's bits that need finishing off, um I won't touch it until I'm near an exhibition, and that's when I finish off certain bits. it just for me, it just feels better because there's always something to do, so I don't like to varnish. My paintings until the last minute because there's always something I want to add, and which leads me to my process. Um, um, in a minute I'll talk about that. Actually, we lead to my process. But before I get into the process, I did put down how I obtain commissions or um, funding. Well, with funding, if there's funding calls open, um, I will see funding calls for, um, funding, and I may apply to them. Um I apply, I've been, you know, as you know, in my other um, podcast, how I obtained 10K from Arts Council, I applied for to them three times. I got funding twice. So the first time I didn't get funding. The second time I applied for the Culture Recovery Fund, Artist Recovery Fund, that was during COVID and got that money. I was like, oh, my God, I'm a person. Once I do something right, then I will do it again and again. So I applied for that and then I got funding. And then I was doing a coaching program and I put down, I want to make 10K by the end of the year. 10K, that was nothing, you know. That's before I knew about, you know, asking for what you're worth and, and making money, you know. But it was a lot to me at the time. And then I and I applied for the Arts Council. But I had already thought, I was already changing my mindset anyway. It was, I was in Scholars, which was um, Brooke Castillo's um, coaching incubator. And I was getting coached, trying to get clients. Um, I think it was also Susie Ashworth. It was in her group. And I said I wanted to make 10K. So I made, you know, I got that funding. Um, But before that, I had been the the chunk of the commission chunk of their commissions that I've had have been somebody contacting me, and this is why putting your work out there is so important. Is because I showed up the minute people said to me, come we buy your artwork?" I started to sell prints. I started to make more artwork. But whenever there was a local event on, I would be there. I would put stalls. There were so many times I didn't sell much. And then I think I joined Forest Gate Arts Trail. wasn't getting paid for it. And I submitted two pieces. And then I had a stall. And I think somebody just passed my name on, literally. And I decided to empty the bins outside. Anyway, so I'm a projector in human design. And if you don't know human design, it's a system a bit like astrology. And with human design, I'm a projector, and we're meant to wait for opportunities. I need to pause this until these people go. Okay, they've gone off. They've gone off. Um. So um. So as a projector in human design, which is a system like astrology, it's got the I Ching in it. If you just look up human design, I'll put it in the show notes. And we're meant to wait for opportunity. And most of the really good commissions and opportunities I have have had has been when somebody's invited me or put a call call out. And so somebody has given my name to um, someone in an organisation. And since then... I got commissions. They'll always send me an email. We've got this this um, event happening. Do you want to apply for funding? So they send me emails and I apply for funding. And it's based upon the work I've put out in the community and the work I have done. It's no. I mean, sometimes people ask me, you know, how do you get these commissions? How do you do all these things? I literally being a partner with my local council happened because I happened to have a store somewhere and I happened to apply for funding. Someone said there's funding coming and I just applied for it. I do have uh, a background as a teacher and I know exactly how to write our outcomes. So I know how to do budgets. I've been running my own business. So with all these fundings, you have to complete a budget form and a project timeline of, of the work that you're going to do. I learned that on the job. I had to learn that as an artist because as a teacher, we didn't do budgets. But I think having my own business and doing my tax return enabled me to calculate how much stuff it would cost. So a lot of the stuff was experiential, but being able to do that, I think helped me be confident in doing funding. Um, But go back to my podcast on how I obtained 10K funding because I really talk about the logistics of that. And and I do believe like I wouldn't go to I wouldn't just do any exhibition anywhere. I just don't feel like my work fits into that. Um, my work is getting bigger, and I don't want to be dragging big pieces of work in a small space because um, it just doesn't fit. And you know, my work—I see my my paintings as spiritual, a connection to my spirituality, and therefore I don't want my work to be in a space where. You, it's not people are not getting a benefit because it's a crowded space or it's a space where it's noisy and you can't really take in the the painting. So for me, it's really important that I, I choose wisely. And I think having my work publicly um, really works because it accesses people that couldn't access my work are able to access and see my work. Um, people that don't go to galleries or don't go to museums locally sometimes can see my work um, and I think that is really important. I really feel that when an environment has art, an artist it thrives. Um, so that's how I get my funding is literally, I either apply for funding and I you will get, for every two one funding application i get i get two or three well two two rejections possibly um and i think that what's been really brilliant for me being a coach is that we need a consult with somebody somebody is going to say no to you they they may not they can't afford my pricing for coaching oh it may not just vibe with them and because i've learned to take those rejections in coaching, because it's not everybody fits. I take that through with my artwork. Um, but I do believe when I created, I created for the love of it. And I had people that wanted to buy my work. And I think that really helps. Um, the imposter syndrome, I had to work through that and go through the feeling of being an imposter syndrome. And also working with artists, myself as a coach, I realized that imposter syndrome when you work with somebody is a process um speaking of process my process so and it it goes in line with decolonizing colonizing my work because i find my process really intuitive i find that i tend to layer and layer it's almost like i'm telling a story when i create my art um Unless I'm doing something really simple, but how I work is a layer. So I create the first layer and then I'll leave it. And then I'll put another layer and then another and another. And within all those layers, the art would have been one thing. So the face would have looked like like one one type of facial feature. And then by the time I've laid and laid and laid, I've changed it. And I have quite quite um intent- not intentional, but I have quite some brush strokes, so i'm I'm not what I call a neat painter that ethic is neat and I'm not precision painter some things i'm I have precision in, and others I'm not and I'm being tested for a d h d literally tomorrow, literally next door to my studio um and I think before when I painted at college, um, when I was 17, eight, I was doing an art, club, art art course, I think the teachers will always tell us off for being, you know, be neater, um, do it this way, but I realised the fact that I cannot, some things I can do neater, but some things I'm unable to hold, the energy or the attention to be really precise, um, and others I can, but that is just not me. That's not how my brain is wired. Probably could be due to trauma because I realised that my low, I have low-level anxiety and I've had, you know, I used to get panic attacks. Um, but it's on a spiritual level, it's also a lot of energy. But um, I realised that i I'm, you know, my work is presentable, but I don't have a precise hand and layer and layer and layer. So, you know, and and I think this is what makes my work intense. I mean, I could have something yellow as a background and then it becomes, I'll put blue over it and then green and another color. And then you're left with maybe a blue, but you can see through those blues, all the other colors underneath. And it's not intentional. I don't do it. Well, it's kind of intentional, but I don't do it for an effect it is actually a process. So I don't do it because I want to create a, a green with blues and yellows underneath. I literally start with yellow and I, I don't say this is the first layer, I just paint. Um and there have been a couple of paintings where I've been intentional exactly what I want to create and they've worked out brilliantly. And I and you know and I do think that uh, some of the paintings that I have done, which have been intentional, have been just as powerful, if not more powerful, than the ones. I don't know, actually. I can't say that. I was going to say more powerful, but they're not. They, they're they equally as powerful. Um, Or, may, or is it that they, they end up actually having the same outcome? That's something to consider. But my process has been a surrender because... I did a foundation course um, at college and I was going to go on to do a degree. My mum couldn't support it financially, so I had to go on work in fashion. However, I do believe the fact that I didn't do a degree, although I did an art advanced practice and a degree equivalent now in art, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's kept this style. I think that if I'd gone to university... I could have possibly lost this authentic style. And this style represents the work I do. It represents the traumas, the triumphs, the journeys, all the women I've worked with, the women in my family. When I create my art, I surrender to a process that is not of this world. (laughs) I believe that I'm bringing in the energies of all the stories and put it on the canvas. And this could be you, you could be doing this with knitting, with your work, with how you create your home, with how you sing, with how you tell stories. Any art form that you use is the same thing and it does have a process. And I think it's really important to decolonize, God, that word, your practice. And that is because colonization has an end result. It's quite finite, finite, you know. So it's, we're gonna do this to obtain this and for this outcome. Whereas when you look at other systems that were not, well, they weren't colonizers in the way we know it. It's very much, we're doing this because it's a conversation between us and the divine and we want to show reverence. And so our art is a reference of our relationship with the divine, or the stars in the sky, or about consciousness. And it it, it actually is just an ongoing thing that we're doing. It's like a prayer. It's like when you think of a prayer, it's yes, it has a beginning and an end, but a prayer is something you constantly do. Pooja is something you constantly do. There's no like, yeah, I do a puja to get a husband or or some money, but it's something that it goes throughout throughout the time. And the art, which they call artifacts, was actual sacred objects. And so I think that when we go to schools and universities, oftentimes, school and university is telling you Create this style so it can get into a gallery or museum or can go into a collector's house and it can go to Christie's for so much million. Um, and then you've got somebody who's got a beautiful picture in their home and it's a symbol of their wealth, as opposed to you're creating this because it's my experience, or I'm creating this because it's my it's my experience and it's a reflection of where I come from and who I am and if anybody who looks at this piece, if it's in a public place or in somebody's house or on the internet, that it's going to provoke a feeling in them where they can celebrate being themselves. So for example, meet a black woman in a divine in divine attire. So the, the piece which I'll put on the YouTube, is the High Priestess, which I'm doing, and that's a personal project for me. And for me, the High Priestess is about reverence and sacredness of a woman. And so nobody, people that are into the tarot don't need to, or people that are not into the tarot, they don't need to know the symbology of it, but they just see in the picture, I hope it makes you feel better. And so, for me, decolonizing my work is having no damn rules and expressing who I am as a woman, as an artist, as a daughter, as a sister, as a lover. It's all in, in, those, in, in, in the work. I don't need somebody to come and see my work and say, your lines are not straight. Your shading is not straight. Your colour's not straight. We need to do this. We need to reference this person and you know, we need to reference that. It's lovely having artistic references. I I actually think that it's not a bad thing, but I do feel like if you're a person that has been in art school and you've come out burnt out, which often students come out and feeling less than, uh, or feeling in the belief that your work, has got to be a certain way, um, then you need to decolonize your work. And I go back to the beginning of the podcast when I spoke about my client, my former client, who got the Grammy. If they went to music school and they learned about traditional music or they went to performing arts school, what would happen? What would have happened with their their gift, which is touching millions of people? What would happen with that? So that's my practice. It's literally a sum total to of all the experiences that I've had in a space as an artist where I felt like an imposter, and that comes from coming from a generation where. We didn't have these spaces for ourselves why are you wasting money on the studio you know you've got bills to pay actually it's a career the more you meet your experience the more it will show up for you so in a nutshell my sacred practice of creating is first creating a space in my studio and really being intentional of what I'm going to do that day it doesn't have to be written down but just give the studio you know, a nod, all your pieces, and everything that's in your studio, be aware of it. So you can you start building a relationship with this with the energy of your space. Light like candles, incense, oracle cards, anything that affirmation cards if, if oracle cards are not your thing. Anything that gets you in the in the mood. Working, getting commissions, forget about trying to get a commission. Just put your work out there, because again, if you focus on getting commissioned, if you focus on um, getting funding, you are going to miss the moment of possibility, because you may not be a person that will get funded. You may have people that are going to buy from you that just keeps you going. I know people that make five to ten thousand a month just selling prints. Okay, so just get your work out there, free events local events, arts trails, do that first, stop thinking about you need to be in a museum and all these places, because you cut off all your joy, and if there's local spaces, your libraries and places like that, offer your work, they're free, if you're doing it at the beginning, offer your work free, that is exactly what I did, um, and like I said, I always work with a project in hand, I always work with a theme, my theme has been my heritage project, that's to be for, for a long time but um i always say for me it's nice to just do my work in, in themes. if you're just starting out and you're called to just do different pieces of work go with where your energy feels alive and um, my process is surrendering um and i work with layers you don't have to be that person but find your process the more you paint the more you know your process and your process is not. I mean, when I first started, I was painting a picture in a day. I was working, but I was painting a picture in a day. I feel much more different about my work, and it's much more bigger. Decolonizing my work, lastly, by doing me, by doing what's intuitive, by doing what's organic, by seeing my work as an extension of my spirituality, my culture, and my um, my ancestors, a connection between me, my ancestors, the creator and the world. So it's not about being a master of art and art techniques, which I love and I, I always like to find interest in art techniques, but it's doing all the things that society or colonization pushes away. So being my natural self, And what's next? Um, Well, I've got studio diaries. So if you want to see this podcast, if you're not listening to it on YouTube, go to YouTube. Or in terms of the art practice, I have a Patreon. And it's literally just a space for artists. Um, If you want to have some support, I do coaching for the Creative Trailblazers. um, So if you're interested in that, just contact me but let me know how you found this episode like and share share this podcast and please leave a review because it really helps me okay signing off for now bye if you want to be part of an incubator of some amazing creative women then you need to join the highly capable creative one-to-one program with me To join, you can just contact me at www.mjfontaine.co.uk and book a sales call with me to join this amazing six-month program where we get to work on your creative business. We also get to work clearing your blocks and also bringing that confidence up to 100 so you can stand in your agency and live your best life.